So 53 years ago, this past week, we put men on the moon for the first time. So for Buzz Aldrin, this mission was more than a fulfilled promise to JFK. It was more than that for him. It was an act of obedient faith. Aldrin viewed his vocation as an astronaut, his mission to the moon as filled with risk. But as a believer, he viewed his mission as a part of God's plan, not only for himself, but for all of mankind. I mean, can there be a more vulnerable feeling than being launched into space, hoping that you're going to land where your intended target is? I mean, you may know that he was the, the second man on the moon. He read scripture from space, but it was just this week that I learned that he took communion while on the moon. When he got home, he said this about it. He said, I wondered if it might be possible to take communion on the moon, symbolizing the thought that God was revealing himself there too. As man reached out into the universe, for there are many of us in the NASA program who do trust that what we are doing is a part of God's eternal plan for man. This is obedient faith. He sees no separation in his vocation, in his Christianity. So we're going to see a similar picture of obedient faith today in our passage. We'll see a faith from Ruth that makes her vulnerable. But we'll see that it's ultimately rewarded because of the character of her Redeemer. That's a main idea for us today. Because of our Redeemer's character, obedient faith is worth the risk. So we'll go through the passage looking at Naomi's plan. We'll see the faith of Ruth. And then finally, we'll see the character of Boaz. So if you'll look with me, we'll start at the end of chapter 2 and read through chapter 3. 2.23, so she kept close, meaning Ruth, to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known 
that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning by the power of your spirit, see the character of our Redeemer. Help us, Father. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts open to the redeeming work of your son, to the role of your son in saving us, redeeming us, bringing us to you, uniting us to you. Father, we ask for the Spirit's help to understand this word and and believe it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been two or three months since the end of chapter two, because that's about how long it takes to complete the barley and wheat harvest during the late spring. So day after day, Ruth keeps showing up. She's working in Boaz's field. She's working hard. She's gleaning alongside his servants. Ruth and Naomi, they continue to benefit from the generosity and the care and the protection of Boaz. But while Ruth's been kind of busy working, Naomi's been busy planning. So we see this in, in verse 1. She, she shares what she desires for Ruth. Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And you could read that and think, well, of course, she's been working hard, so she wants her to rest. That's not it. What she wants for Ruth is security. She, she wants the safety and security of a husband and a permanent home. It's the very thing that she said back in chapter 1, verse 9, when she's sending Orpah and Ruth away, I want rest for I want you to find a permanent home and a husband. You have to remember that this is set at least a thousand years before Christ, during the time of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So there's very little hope here. There's very little hope for a, a childless widow to survive, to make it, much less two of them. So Naomi, what she wants for Ruth is, is good, is right. That said, we, we need to talk about her plan for just a minute. As in verse 2, we find out that this plan involves Ruth and their relative Boaz. The plan involves secretly approaching him at night on the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor, it's usually a flat, open area. It's often at the top of the hill where the winds are blowing through. The men are taking the barley and the wheat, might be stamping or hitting them to break the grains off the stalk. This time they're, they're throwing the grain up in the air to separate the chaff from the grains. So Naomi's plan, it's, it's to have Ruth bathe, anoint herself with perfume and dress in her best cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Then she's to watch Boaz in secret and observe where he lies down. So this already kind of has some uncomfortable kind of stalkery vibes that are, that are happening here. It's a little uncomfortable. But wait, the final part of her plan is for Ruth to softly, secretly uncover Boaz's feet, lie down, and wait for him to tell her what to do. So all the parents in this room with daughters old enough to date and marry, it's okay that you're now poking them with your elbow going, this is not how it's done. (laughs) 
this is one of those Old Testament passages where we're definitely seeing and hearing what's described to us instead of prescribed for us, okay? <laughs> Everything about this passage, these verses, it's meant, it's intentionally making us uncomfortable. The language increases this. I mean, lie down is used eight times in this entire passage. Three times, just in verse four. The events taking place at night are pointed out three times. You might be saying, Art, you're being too hard on Naomi here. Maybe we just don't understand the, the cultural nuances, the, the customs, and that Naomi's directions were completely innocent. Well, that, that could be the case. But at the same time, we know for certain that thematically, nothing good happens in Scripture at night. Nothing. We know for good that nothing happens when an unmarried man and unmarried woman lay down next to each other. It's not good. We know that for sure. So could, could Naomi be leaning into Ruth's old identity as a Moabite? Could she be planning for Ruth to seduce Boaz? We don't know, but we know for certain that Naomi is putting Ruth in a vulnerable situation and Boaz in an awkward one. What we can say for sure is this, Naomi's desire for Ruth is good, even though her plan is, is questionable. So where does this pattern of, of questionable plans show up for you? You, you have good and right desires, a promotion at work, a desire to be married. You desperately want to see your children grow up and be successful and grow in the Lord. The question is, do these good desires prompt you to take control of a situation, to try and make something happen, or do they drive you to the Lord? So this, this could have happened, and we just aren't told, but we don't see Naomi pray before she makes this plan. We don't, we don't see it. A sure sign that you're trying to control a situation and make something happen is taking action without prayer. Or, or how often do we decide what we're going to do? We have our plans, and we just sprinkle some Jesus on top, hoping that he will bless what we already want. Our desires... Our plans, our actions, they should be saturated in prayer. Prayer is a privilege. We get to go and talk to our king, the one who can bring about anything. We want the Lord to, to give us this day exactly what we need, and we want him to deliver us from evil. And then what? Then we act. We, we aren't to just pray and passively wait. No, we pray and we boldly act. Why? Because we know the character of our Redeemer. We can act in confidence because God is sovereign and God is good. Prayer and God's sovereign power, they are never at odds in Scripture. We know that we can make our plans in our hearts, but the Lord is the one who establishes our steps. Proverbs 16, verse 9. Prayer brings these two together, God's sovereignty and our action. We see clearly in Ruth chapter 3 that despite questionable plans, God brings out beautiful redemption here. So when you, when you see what's, what's happening here, what Ruth is being told to do by Naomi, good desires and a questionable plan 
how does Ruth react? Okay, she, doesn't, she doesn't question Naomi. She doesn't look at Naomi and go, you know what? Um, Aunt Betty is pretty smart. I think we should probably knock this plan off of her, kind of see what she thinks about this. Maybe we should check in with some other people, get some wisdom speaking into this. Isn't that scriptural? No. Ruth says, all that you say, I will do. It says it in verse 5, all that you say, I will do. Ruth acts in obedient faith. So look at verse 6 with me. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Now, the skeptic might say, it's, that's ridiculous. That's blind faith. It's cultural. She had to do this, but that would be wrong. Think back to chapter 2. What has Ruth already experienced from Boaz? What's she already seen? She's seen his generosity. She's seen his protection. She's seen his provision. So while the situation is far from ideal, Ruth takes action. Not with blind faith, that would be foolish, but she acts boldly with reasonable hope in her heart because she's seen the character of her Redeemer. Jared Wilson describes it this way. Ruth isn't just thinking in faith, she's acting in faith. Bold actions result when faithful people believe in the redemptive purposes of God. So then how does this situation unfold? Look at verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Boaz and his men, they're enjoying the fruits of their labor. They're enjoying the provision of God in this harvest. And that we can say, based on Boaz's character throughout this book, that when he lays down, he's not drunk, he's cheerful, He's content. The narrator wants us to see that he lays down away from the other men at the end of the heap of grain in a private place. And then Ruth softly and secretly uncovers his feet and lays down. So why, why the uncovering of the feet? I mean, we, we don't know for sure. But it, but it could cause what happens at verse, in verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Remember, it's nighttime. It's late spring and it's breezy. Is there anyone in here that temperature regulates when you sleep? Here's what I mean. Like I got to have one foot under the covers and one foot out. Okay, if both foot, both, both feet are in, then I feel like we do right now, pretty warm. Okay? If both feet are out, I'm freezing. Okay, so it, remember, Boaz is a little bit older. So the blood flow, I get this, blood flow is not going great. It could be he's uncovered, the breeze is blowing, he wakes up because he's cold. Regardless, he's awake and he's shocked to find a woman laying at his feet. Now, we know how this turns out for Ruth. But for her, I mean, she's, she's still in a situation that could go very, very poorly. She's in a situation that could take a dark turn. It's midnight. It's private. It's quiet. It's intimate. There's even anonymity in this moment. The language shifts from Boaz and Ruth to the man and the woman. So Boaz asks a completely reasonable question in verse 9. Who are you? Who are you? And Ruth's answer, it's enlightening. 
because who she is is already changing. And that change is based on the character of her redeemer. Remember back in chapter two, verse 10, she says to Boaz, why are you even noticing me? I'm a foreigner. Why why have you even taken notice of me? You're comforting me. You're speaking kindly to me, even though I am not one of your servants. 2.13. So here she answers the question, who are you expectantly? I am Ruth, your servant. She's growing in her trust of Boaz because of what she's seen in him. That's true for us. You know, the more that you are looking to Jesus, your Redeemer, the more he will change you. He promises to do it. It is by looking at him that we shift in any way from a skeptic to a believer, from a tepid believer to a passionate worshiper. I mean, that comes from looking at your Redeemer. Ruth wants to be more than just his servant. She says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer in verse nine. Those words, the meaning of the words may not be obvious to us. The word for wings, it can also be garment. She could be asking him actually to cover her with the garment that she took off his feet. So whether she's asking to be covered by his garment or his wings, it symbolizes the same thing. Look back to chapter two, verse 12 with me. So this is when Boaz is remarking on Ruth's care for Naomi. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Ruth is now calling him to fulfill that blessing that he spoke over her. So take note, as you're praying for someone or something, It may be that God chooses you to answer that prayer. Dear Lord, I really wish that somebody would come alongside here and disciple my friend, and you may be the answer to that prayer. We see that clearly right here. Ruth is asking Boaz to move, to to move from this generous covering of, of, of gleanings to a more intimate and personal covering of marriage. Covering is covenant language. Covering is protection. Covering is about saving. So right here, our fairy tale expectations, they get subverted. There's not one mention of physical attraction between these two. Ruth is asking Boaz to cover her, not because romance, but because of his character. She knows who he is. She knows that he is the kinsman redeemer. We see this covering covenant language used in one of the most intimate descriptions of God and his people in Ezekiel 16. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So this situation is risky for Ruth. It's more than just the awkwardness of a young woman proposing to an older man. It's more than just odd happening at night and in secret. It's more than culturally forbidden. A foreigner, a Moabite nonetheless, 
seeking to be united with a pillar of the people of God. So with all that stacked against her, why would Ruth take this risk? So let, let her instruct us. Let's, let's learn from Ruth. In, in our attempt to never reduce Old Testament passages to mere morality tales, we still need to not miss the obvious. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it would be good for us to have faith like Ruth has. That's okay for us to say. I know that I want faith like that. I want faith like Ruth. So why would she take this risk? So we've all heard that seeing is believing. I've got to see it in order to place my faith in it. Ruth has seen enough of her Redeemer where her believing is fueling her doing. She's putting her faith into action. This is no tepid, half-hearted, bet-hedging risk. This is Ruth at her most vulnerable, at the place where rejection means not only misery, but likely death. And she says, I'm going to risk it all. So the question then for us is obvious. Have you seen enough of your Redeemer to risk obedient faith? Have you seen enough of his character, his steadfast love, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness to continue trusting him? What's holding you back from obedient faith? And could it be how you see your Redeemer? The answer matters because the, the bigger your Redeemer, the smaller the risk seems. The more awesome your Redeemer, the more reduced the risk seems. So when we, we climbed Angel's Landing at Zion National Park, and to get this view, which was awesome, beautiful, you had to, you had to go up this ridge. And that ridge, you know, it may kind of look small, but when we zoom in here, those little images, that's people. That's people going up a kind of a narrow ridge. And it was a different experience. So some were like fearlessly moving up the path quickly. Let's, let's see what's next. What's around the bend? How beautiful this will be. And then there were those who were experiencing this hike in a much different way. I remember one young lady halfway up that ridge who was down on her hands and knees, weeping. And thankfully, she had some very loving friends around her who were singing Amazing Grace, right? <laughs> trying to, to encourage her. We were having two different experiences. For those who could not wait to get to that view, it, it, it was fearless. It was joy for those who could not look up from what they were afraid of. It was, they were terrified to take the next step. So how do you view your Redeemer? Do you trust him? Every believer has the blood-bought covenant commitment of our Redeemer. Yet some of us, we still act like we're out in the field, rummaging for leftovers, hanging on for, for gleanings. Brothers and sisters, if that's you, that's self-imposed. You belong to the Son of God. You have been united to him by faith. That is intimate covering. How many of you think that your Redeemer is ashamed of you rather than willing to cover your shame? The Redeemer that we worship not only covers our shame, he takes it upon himself. Our sin, 
the shame that our sin brings, and he takes it and then covers us with his righteousness. How many of us are clinging in fear to what we think our Redeemer might take rather than being in awe of all that he gives? We we don't see his generosity because he might take this one thing that we treasure. Do you trust him? Brothers and sisters, you, you should. It was at the cross that our Redeemer proved himself to you. At your weakest, ugliest, most rebellious place, he redeemed you. And by the Spirit, as you grow in confidence in his character, you will see less risk and more joy as you obey him. So right now, each one of you in this moment, you have an opportunity to take an obedient step of faith. For some of you, it's, it's staying awake in the heat. I get it. Okay? That's, your, that's your step of faith. For others, it could be opening your home to unbelievers in hospitality. It could be taking a step to foster or adopt. It could be a willingness to lead a Bible study or to begin just opening the Bible with your family. It could be to set aside long-held bitterness and anger and unmet expectations in your marriage. It could be to branch a growth group. It could be to branch a church. Okay, so please pray for our church plant. How you could give, how you can plug in, how you can serve, how you can be a part of that large step of faith. So whether your faith is, is cautious whether your faith knows no fear, your faith ultimately hinges on the one in whom you've placed your faith. Naomi's desire was good. Ruth's faith was active. But none of that matters unless Boaz is the type of man he seems to be. Again, think about the context. Here's a man He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's a landowner, he's a pillar in the community. We have to acknowledge at this time, in this place, Boaz could have done whatever he wanted to, to Ruth, and he could have done so with impunity. So how does he respond to being startled awake in the middle of the night on the threshing floor? Look at verse 10 with me. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz immediately relieves the tension by blessing Ruth in the Lord. He puts her at ease by showing that he knows her. He knows her character. He points out her kindness. And you could read this, this Boaz saying, hey, your second kindness is even greater than your first. And you could naturally assume that he's being self-referenced. You could assume that she's being kind by taking pity on him, that, that it's kind of her to pursue him instead of younger men, that this kind, sort of nice, kind of Southern hospitality, oh, bless your heart, you're kind of old and... <laughs> I'm just willing to marry you. You could read that, but that's not what's happening here at all. What, what, what has Boaz been impressed by 
in, in Ruth's character all along? What's impressed him? Her care for Naomi. Remember her covenant commitment to Naomi and Naomi's God back in chapter one. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. 1, 16 and 17. Again, there's nothing leading us to believe here that this is pity or romance. They, there was not a, a, a cutscene where they are exchanging smoldering glances across the wheat field as the sun sets. That's not what's happening here. Something much greater than romance is taking place. Ruth knows that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. That means if they are married, he will not only redeem their land, but through their marriage, they will raise up a son to carry on the line of Elimelech. So Ruth's ultimate kindness here It's not pity towards Boaz. It is selfless love towards Naomi. What a double redemption thing. I mean, not only is Ruth trusting Boaz to redeem her, it's Ruth who's also redeeming Naomi through her selfless kindness. Boaz acknowledges that, that she's had opportunity to go after younger men, rich or poor. There's been no shortage of suitors. She denies herself for her mother-in-law. Remember Chris describing this as a true love story, but not one that we tend to think of, but one between a daughter and her mother-in-law. This type of selfless, sacrificial kindness, it has a name. It has to have a name. It's more than just nice. It's loving kindness. It's chesed. This is a type of steadfast love that King David showed to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was an enemy, technically, in the line of Saul. But out of said, he wanted to find someone to show care to. He adopts Mephibosheth into the home, seats him at the table of kings, even though there's nothing that Mephibosheth could do to return it. This is the type of steadfast love our Redeemer shows us, even though we don't deserve it and can't return it. So if we are anyone, if we're anyone in the story, we are Naomi. Sometimes suffering, sometimes empty, stopping and starting, trying to trust God, a mixed bag of good desires and and our own plans, but we are completely, utterly dependent on the chesed of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We are totally in need of redemption by the blood of Jesus, utterly in need of the immeasurable kindness of the Father. We need it. We have to have it ongoing, him lavishing his kindness upon us. We're Naomi, and we need a redeemer. Boaz understands that this is a marriage proposal. He understands what marriage will cost him personally, socially, and financially. And he says exactly what Ruth needs to hear in verse 11. He does not reject her. He does not take advantage of her at her most vulnerable. She's risked it all. And he says, do not fear. Do not fear. Oh man, how much is that like our Redeemer? All that you ask, I will do. 
Ruth's risk and her faith are rewarded because of the character of her redeemer. Boaz says, I will do what you ask because everyone knows that you're a worthy woman. This is Proverbs 31 type of language. Ruth has proven to anyone watching that she is virtuous. She has worth based on her consistent said towards Naomi. So this is is where we take a brief break from comparing us to Ruth and Boaz to our Redeemer because the gospel irony is thick. While many of us long to hear and believe those words from our Redeemer, do not fear, we do fear because we know, we know we are not Ruth. We are not worthy We haven't lived selflessly like this brilliant Moabite widow. We haven't consistently laid down our personal desires for the sake of another. This is a story about two noble and virtuous people coming together for the purpose of redemptive history. Our story, man, it is altogether different. And that is really good news. It's good news because Jesus gets the glory when he unites himself to an unworthy people. Jesus gets the worship when his mercy is magnified and he unites himself to those who don't deserve mercy but deserve punishment. Our Redeemer knew the cost and he knew what he was getting with us. My fear is that sometimes we look at our relationship with our Redeemer and it's like we picture ourselves as the, the used car that was just purchased by Jesus rolling off the lot, and all of a sudden the transmission falls out, and Jesus is going, man, I wish I'd known it was going to be that kind of bum deal. <laughs> That's not it. He knew, and he knows now where you're sinning. He knows you intimately, but because of his character, he redeems you not because of your character, because of his. In fact, your weakness draws his strength to you because it gives him glory. And that is awesome. (laughs) Then when we get redeemed, man, this becomes our story too. We become a part of redemptive history. So what's this redeemer like? We know from chapter two that, that Boaz has been generous towards Ruth But what in our passage could possibly compel Ruth to put this level of trust in him? This is next level trust. So look back at verse 12 and 13. And now it is true, this is Boaz talking to Ruth, I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And we, we need to stop here for just a second. And all my English teachers in the house, you can, you can come with me because we need to nerd out over some brilliant storytelling. <laughs> this, this is awesome because we don't want there to be another redeemer at this point in the story. Man, it's trending in the right direction. Things are looking good for Boaz and Ruth. Things are going to work out for Naomi. And then here's this genius storytelling curveball. It's like, what are you talking about another redeemer? Get him out of here. So we read this, and we're like, man, I need to know what's going to happen next. He keeps us, the narrator keeps us in the story. But not only that, it shows us that Boaz is a man of integrity. He can be trusted. 
The law dictates that if there's a closer relative, he has the right to redeem, Deuteronomy 25.5. The existence of a closer relative also, it potentially explains why Boaz has not approached Ruth. So he's aware of this closer relative, and see this, he puts observing the law over any personal desires. That is sanctification. The language in verse 13, it's, it's much more hopeful than it sounds. It sort of sounds flippant, like, hey, if he'll redeem you, good deal, that's fine. We can go our separate ways. If he won't, then I guess I will. It's not that. It's not that. It's stronger. It's more intense. He's basically saying, if it's not his delight to redeem you, if it's not a high privilege to him to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you again, how much like our Redeemer. He delights to redeem you. It is a privilege for him to do so because of his character. Here is a man, a redeemer of action. He's not keeping secrets. He's not manipulating the situation. His honesty about this other redeemer, it gives Ruth even greater confidence in his character. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Then this... Well, I almost missed it, but look there at the end of verse 13. Lie down until the morning. I would really like to know how that went. (laughs) Like, I just just want to know how well they slept. Now, now I get it with Boaz. He's cold, and at this point, if he's asleep, I want to see it. I need to see it to believe it. (laughs) He's a little bit older. It's harder to sleep. I get that. What was on their minds at this point? Minds had to be racing. What were they thinking? What were they feeling? We're just not told. Maybe there was the content and confident sleep that comes from being near one that you can completely trust. One that you can trust to protect and provide for you. We see in verse 14, Boaz protecting Ruth in two ways. One, he didn't want her to leave in the middle of the night and be walking home alone. Two, he, he wants her to leave in the morning before there's enough light to where she can be recognized. Here's Ruth, a woman of virtue, and he's protecting her reputation from even the appearance of wrongdoing. He's already covering her with his wings. Look at verse 15. And Boaz, he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. His abundant provision continues, but there's an implication, an implied promise of more. Six measures of barley, it's somewhere in the the neighborhood of 80 pounds. Now, I don't think that's hyperbole. We know that Ruth is no slouch. She's been working day after day in the field, very little breaks, gleaning. She's a hard worker. There's no doubt that she's strong enough to carry home 80 pounds of barley. But I want you to see this, the six measures. There's, there's nothing accidental in Scripture. There's, the six measures is a provision with promise of more to come. We know that Boaz knows the law. This, this number six, it was no accident. Boaz knows what he's doing. The number six is incomplete. The number seven symbolizes wholeness and completion in Scripture. So look, when Ruth reports back to Naomi in verse 17, and, and she's basically saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. 
Here, Naomi gets it. She gets the promise. Naomi realizes that, that Boaz's promise and provision extends even to her. How does she know? From that, that simple sentence. Ruth tells Naomi what he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Empty is the exact same language that Naomi used to describe her return to Bethlehem back in 121. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Boaz's redemption promise extends to, it covers, it fills even Naomi. A promise that we see gloriously fulfilled in the next chapter filling Naomi's once empty hands and empty line with a grandbaby. You can picture Obed just bouncing on her lap. This is why she says in 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She sees the promise and she knows it's not over yet. Boaz's character is remarkable. And again, I would be remiss if I just skipped the example that Boaz sets for us as men. So we can heed the call to learn from him because this is not a call to be like Boaz in order to prove that we're saved. This is not a call to, to be like Boaz, to keep being saved. Brothers, you are saved. Therefore, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to be like him. That's a good thing. This is, this is not a call motivated by guilt or fear but rather motivated by a redeemer who loves you and gives you the Holy Spirit who actually changes you to be a man of integrity. Men in this room, can you be trusted? Will you keep your word? Are you men of action who protect and provide for those in need? Brothers, the world needs men like Boaz. The church needs men like Boaz. And we know something that he couldn't know. That, that we imitate him as he imitates Christ. So how in the world does growth like that happen? How is this not oppressive, but rather joy? Growth like this happens when men who have been loved and covered by their redeemer begin to trust his character. It happens as we behold our redeemer more and more in his word and trust him to transform us by his grace to be more like him. That's it. That's the step. That's the strategy. No five this, four steps here. Look to Christ, men. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look to Christ and he will make you more like him. All of us have to answer the question that Naomi asked Ruth in verse 16. I don't know why the ESV phrases it as, as how did you fare, my daughter? Because the, the actual wording is the exact same thing Boaz asked Ruth in the middle of the night. Naomi asked, who are you? You left the Moabite widow, but have you returned belonging to our kinsman redeemer? So if you don't know Jesus as your redeemer, I'm not going to tell you that he's safe. I'm not gonna tell you there's no risk in fact, there's quite a bit of risk, and it's awesome. But I am going to tell you he's worth it because there's no greater joy than being covered by this Redeemer. This Redeemer is good. Stop looking 
to false redeemers that don't meet your desires or do so in a way that is counterfeit. Look to this redeemer. This redeemer gives you joy. This redeemer keeps his word. His promise of provision extends to you. Will you receive it? For those of us united to our kinsman redeemer by faith, praise the Lord. We can answer Naomi's question, who are you? We can answer that just like Ruth, the answer to that question is defined by the character of our redeemer. Who are you? He is our God and we are his people. Where he goes, we will go. Because he died, we live. Because he is our kinsman redeemer. Church, you're the bride of Christ. You are sons and daughters of the king. You're not just covered by your redeemer. You're crowned by our king. You are sinners saved by grace. You are saints justified, sanctified, and one day glorified. That's who you are in your redeemer. He's covered us. He's saved us. He's redeemed us. So we don't have any choice but to praise his majestic name. Let's, let's do that together. Father, we ask that you would help us more and more see our Redeemer, see his character clearly, that you would convince us in our hearts by the strength of your spirit of his love for us, the breadth of it, the height, the width, the length, of of his love. Convince us, Lord, by your spirit. Help us to see our redeemer more clearly. And then by your spirit, help us towards obedient faith. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.